Kate McClellan, pro wedding planner with over 16 years of experience helping more than 400 couples down the aisle. I started Planning Collective to help all couples get through the overwhelm of wedding planning by sharing my actionable tips and tools that I've used over the years working with my clients. We'll focus on getting rid of what I like to call FOWO, the fear of wedding oversight. This is an unfortunate condition that almost every couple will suffer from at some point. Let's get you back to enjoying the planning process. Here we go. Hey guys, Kate here. Welcome back to another episode of the Wedding Planning Collective podcast. Today we're going to talk about picking your battles, and by that I mean the wedding guest list. For some of you, this might be an easy task. You know exactly who's going to be on that invite list, and there aren't any crazy fine lines to draw or family dynamics to take into consideration. Many couples, however, need to pick their battles and look at the big picture of life beyond the wedding when it comes to who makes the cut for their wedding guest list. I'd love to share an example here from a client we worked with years ago. The bride had really wanted a smaller event. However, she knew that the wedding was a really big deal for her future mother-in-law, and they had a huge family. Earlier in their relationship, the bride and her mother-in-law had some tension, but they were currently in a great place. The bride decided that she was going to let her mother-in-law have this one and not restrict the number of guests that she could invite. She knew it was important to her, and they were helping to pay for the wedding, so it was worth it to her to have a bigger wedding than they initially wanted to help keep the peace after the wedding was done and over. Now, typically I'm a huge advocate for couples standing their ground when it comes to others' opinions in planning their wedding, but there are certain situations where it's just not worth the long-term problems that could come up. This is one of those examples. I know in the past I've had clients that have had a flipped situation than this bride. They held their ground and kept their guest list to what they initially planned for. The point is, you need to think about your specific wants, priorities, and family dynamics when it comes to the wedding guest list. Pick your battles carefully if necessary. Okay, that little disclaimer considered, let's get into how you create a guest list to begin with. As with just about everything else in wedding planning, we're going back to pillar one again. And if you have no clue what I'm talking about, check out the first episode of this podcast where I go over this in more detail. But for a quick review, here are the five pillars of your wedding planning foundation. Pillar number one, your wedding planning priorities. Pillar number two, your wedding budget. Pillar number three, your wedding guest list. Pillar number four, your wedding checklists and timelines. Pillar number five, your wedding vendor team. Okay, so back to pillar number one and your wedding planning priorities. What did you decide on when you were talking about the size of your wedding? Did you want to have a micro, intimate, small, medium, or large wedding? The amount of guests that you invite is going to have an immediate impact on not only your budget, but the venues or locations that are available to you based on the approximate size of the wedding. Quick side note here, at this stage, we're typically talking about the estimated number of guests that you're going to invite. Most couples don't have the exact count until just a couple of weeks before the wedding. Venues and other vendors are very familiar with working with initial estimates, so don't stress if you're not sure who's going to be able to attend out of your guest list at this point. The general rule is that about 20% of the guests invited will not be able to attend, but this can vary greatly depending on your details. I found that smaller guest lists, under 60 or so, tend to have a much smaller percentage of guests declining. If you're only inviting close family and friends, they're more likely to do whatever they have to to make that wedding. If you have a larger guest list, however, you'll most likely see the declines are closer to that 20% rate. Two other factors that I often see that impact this number is if your wedding is being held on a holiday weekend or if there is significant travel involved for many of the guests. Usually either of these situations would mean that you'll probably have a higher number of guests not able to make it, 
but there are situations where it could have the opposite impact. For example, if many of your family or friends live out of state and you have a wedding around the holidays when they're already home, you might have more guests able to attend than would have been able to another time during the year. Let's get back on track here, though. The point is, it's really important that you have the basic guest list decided before you book the venue or solidify the breakdown of your budget. You don't want to be stuck planning your wedding backwards. And for more on that, check out episode number two, surprisingly titled, Don't Plan Your Wedding Backwards. Once you've decided on the approximate size, how do you come up with the actual guest list? I recommend that you grab a glass or maybe a bottle of wine, a cup of tea, maybe some fruity spindrift, and just start writing down names. Start with the immediate families, wedding party members, and close friends, and work your way down the list. If you have any friends or family who have recently gotten married or maybe had a graduation party or another event, reach out to them and see if you can get a copy of their list. This will help make sure that you aren't missing anyone but it will also give you a jumpstart on collecting the addresses. If you're not familiar with Google Sheets, I highly recommend you look into it. It's like a live online version of Excel that you can share with family and friends, and they can help you collect the addresses in a super easy way. You can also check out sites like The Knot or Zola. They have different guest tracking features within their sites. And of course, if you're a planning collective member, you'll have access to the amazing guest tracking tool within your IELTS Planner account. It's super comprehensive with the other wedding planning tools that are included. So it's also gonna help you with the layouts, seating arrangements, meal choices, and tracking the RSVPs across all the events, like the showers, rehearsal, dinner, etc. You can get more information on that and the membership at planningcollective.com. There are two common questions that come up as couples are working through their guest list. Number one is, do we invite kids to the wedding? And number two is, who gets a plus one or a date? The question about whether you're going to invite kids to the wedding is most often a pretty fast yes or no. Either this is super common in your family to have kids attend, or your family prefers an adults-only reception, and the parents will make arrangements for their kids on their own. There's really no right or wrong answer, so do what feels best for you and your wedding. If you do have quite a few guests that have little ones and might have an issue with childcare, say if they're traveling or maybe all of their go-to babysitters are also going to be at the wedding, you can arrange to have a sitter on site to make sure that the parents can enjoy the reception. I typically see that parents are grateful for an excuse for a night out, especially if there is an open bar. Let's talk about plus ones or wedding dates for the adult guests on your list. The formal rule is that spouses, fiancés, and live-in partners should also be included on the invitation. You'll probably also have some guests that are in long-term relationships, but maybe not living together or engaged. It might be assumed that they're going to be included, and that would be the polite thing to do. Personally, I feel that all adult members of the wedding party and immediate family should also be allowed to bring a guest, regardless of their status, but that can be changed based on the dynamics of the family, as well as the budget and venue restrictions. If your budget and the space allows, it's not uncommon to extend a plus one to all adult guests. The primary guests will know if they're invited with a date by the way you address the wedding invitation. If you know their significant other's name, you would include that on the invite. If you're unsure if they're in a relationship, you would simply add and guest to the envelope. We'll get into more details on invites in a future episode. Whatever your decision is on the topic of kids and plus ones, you're most likely going to get some guests that disagree with you or want to share their opinions with you. For whatever reason, these are two areas that can be really divisive, so try not to take it personally if you get any pushback. Finally, let's talk about the logistics of having a B and maybe even a C list. If your first brain dump of a guest list is too lengthy to fit within your venue or your budget, you need to start making some cuts. 
You can do this by cutting the kids or plus ones, or maybe demoting some guests to a B or a C list. It's a relatively common practice, but I do want to share a couple of words of caution if you choose to do this. If you are sending out save the dates, only send them out to those that you know 100% will be invited. Anyone who receives a save the date will expect an invitation to the wedding and they might start making arrangements to attend. You'll also want to send out your first round of invitations on the early side, I would say eight to 10 weeks before the wedding, as opposed to the normal six to eight weeks that I recommend. This way you can send out a second round early enough so the guests can make arrangements to attend and it doesn't feel last minute. If you're able to, make sure the second round of invitations has a later RSVP due date to reflect the different timing. If someone receives an invitation to a wedding a week after the requested due date has passed, they'll know that they were on that B list. I'm going to break down the timeline of sending out your invitations and the responses in an upcoming episode, so stay tuned for that. And one final tip for all engaged couples when it comes to the guest list, stop making friends. I'm kidding, of course, but it can be challenging when you meet new people after you've been engaged that you really want to be included in the wedding. If you're the type of person that likes to pick up strays, as a friend of mine says, make sure that you leave a little bit of room in that guest list and budget for some of those added guests that you maybe haven't met yet. All right, you have some homework to do now. I'd love to hear what size wedding you're planning on and how you've decided on that size. Head on over to the Wedding Planning Collective Facebook group and tell us all about it. Thanks so much for joining me today. I will see you in the next episode.